0: When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today. reading from the Acts of the Apostles. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let this homestead be desolate, and let there be another one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of the, in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the reasons it's there's some difficult to pronounce words in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, is that we're working with a couple different languages here. Aramaic. Hebrew, um, and it all kind of gets blended together in the book of Acts as they are transitioning from a church that is primarily Jewish people that were conversant in Hebrew and Aramaic to non-Jewish people or Gentiles. Again, that's a Jewish term uh, for people that are not Jewish. People from other places like Corinth and Athens and Macedonia and other early Christians, Antioch, some other places, they wouldn't have called themselves Gentiles unless they were in a synagogue or in some kind of Jewish context. They would have called themselves Macedonians or Corinthians or um, wherever they were from. Every group, people group, thinks of themselves as the people. As the main, the main, uh, the mainstream, or, or whatever, however you see that, and the other groups are called the other. That's kind of normal in all of human life. Um, when we describe a person that walks into a room, if they're pretty much like us, we usually don't give a lot of descriptions. Uh, if they happen to be Saudi Arabian or uh, Argentinian or uh, Chinese, we will say, usually put that description on them. But if they're, for instance, for me, another middle-aged white man um, with a podcast, we're just going to say, a guy walked in. So it's kind of normal that this period of transition in the book of Acts is marked by a little bit of confusion of languages, which is the ultimate miracle of the next chapter when we get to it, that the miracle is that everybody can understand the good news in their own language, which was another sign that the gospel, the good news of Jesus was going out into the entire universe. But we have this one problem in this transitional time, and that is the problem of Judas. Judas plays a prominent role in all four Gospels. He is showing up in all the places that the disciples show up. In fact, in our sermon on Sunday, the Gospel lesson was listing the 12 apostles or disciples of Jesus that are being called in Matthew chapter 9, and Judas is listed among them. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays him, um, Iscariot is probably a family name. Any other attempts at trying to figure out what Iscariot means has been a a fun exercise in creativity, but probably a family name. To distinguish him from the other Judas, there are more than one Judases in Jesus' 12 apostles and disciples. Um, One of them goes on to write a book of the New Testament, the book of Jude. We call it Jude, to distinguish it from Judas, um, because there are negative associations with Judas's name, as you'll read about in this text here. But the name Judas, Jude, the Latinized version of Judas, was not an unusual name. It was a very common name. Common not in a bad way, common in a good way. Um, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, really man of Judah, named after the tribe of Judah, named after the son of Jacob named Judah. Judah is the kingly tribe, the tribe that the kings of Israel and Judea descend from. They are the noble family of, of the tribes of Israel. And to, be, to name a child Judas in the time of Jesus was to echo that kingly tradition And then the the freedom fighter, Judas Maccabeus, Judas the hammer, who defeats the Greeks and Antiochus Epiphanes and all the the Greek invasions of the temple and, and depredations and desecrations of the temple. Judas Maccabeus is associated with the holiday of Hanukkah, which is celebrated today by Jewish people, a sign of liberation. And so this was not a strange name or some name with religious connotations at all, when it was named. Now the story of um, story of uh, Judas takes this betrayal twist here in, in the Gospels. We know that Judas conspires to have Jesus Jesus arrested, um, and he knows the people that are arresting Jesus. That they do not have his best interests in mind. Um, And so, in some ways, Judas knows what he is doing, that he is delivering Jesus over to his execution, perhaps, although he doesn't quite know everything, it says. And here, the other disciples who are also betrayed by him, they are just as much betrayed by Judas as. as Jesus was, in that they did not know what he was up to. And so, we have another list of the disciples in the first chapter of Acts. And this list um, does not include Judas Iscariot. The list in Matthew does. And since all of you were listening with rapt attention on Sunday, you heard that I found it quite interesting that Matthew, written long after the death and resurrection of Jesus, long after the betrayal of Judas, still includes uh, Judas among the disciples. He is an essential part of the story. But here, he, here they are, still in this upper room, about 120 of them, I like the approximation, 120. This is the entire church, 120 people. That's it. That's all there is. Not 125, or maybe 100. It's about 120, so it could be 125, but not 130, not 140, not 200. You can fit 100 people, 120 people, um, you know, in like two school buses, or so, you can... um, That's not a lot of people, but it's enough. It's enough. And there they are, all together. And Peter is there among these believers. That's what they're called, or brothers. Brothers is an inclusive term for men and women because the list just told us that Mary is there. So the, the brothers... Adelphoi, where the word Philadelphia comes from, brotherly love, the city of brotherly shove, as they always say, Peter gets up and addresses them. Friends, the scripture has been fulfilled, um, spoken through David concerning Judas. David is of the tribe of Judah, and here he is connected with Judas again, that this was prophesied. They also talk about Judas's untimely death. And it's hard to actually know what happened to Judas um, completely. It says, this man, it, it doesn't name him again, almost like they don't want to say his name. He acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. So the money that he threw back at the leaders who had given him the money, he gave the money back, threw it at their feet. Um, The reward for his wickedness, the 30 pieces of silver, the price of a human life, fairly consistent throughout time. Very little inflation on the price of a human life when it comes to silver. This is about the price that Joseph was sold into slavery for. Um, 30 pieces of silver. He gives the money back, throws it back, and then he goes and they buy a field. They buy a field with this money. And it says he fell headlong. He fell headlong. He burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. Um, This is probably an allusion to hanging and the bitter end of Judas. Um, Nobody's death, no matter what they've done or why they did it, is something to celebrate or rejoice in. Um, We might feel relief when someone who has done something wicked dies, but all death is a loss. All death is that great enemy of humanity winning one more time um, and Judas's death is no different. It is a grisly and gruesome end. Um, and because of this association and because it was bought with blood money, the price of a human life, um, this field becomes Hakaldama, the field of blood. The field of blood. And it is it's quoted in the Psalms and Peter makes it very clear that David wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, modern scholars will tell you that the Psalms were probably not written by David, or most of them weren't. But here, um, Peter says that they were, at least the ones that he quotes. Let his homestead be desolate, let no one be there to live in it. Um... Let another take his position of overseer. These are part of the imprecatory or cursing psalms. um, And this is how they applied it to their situation. I think the psalms have a power to speak to us in our moment of need in a way that other texts of Scripture don't. There is a raw emotion in the psalms. And this is what these apostles are feeling on that day. Um, Peter is feeling this. And so this association with the Holy Spirit speaking to them through the Psalms is something they needed so they could move on, so they could get on with the calling that Jesus had called them to. It's not easy to move on when there's been a betrayal, when there's been a loss, when there's been a death. It's not easy to do that. And that's what Peter is encouraging these 120 Christians to do that they have to let go of Judas. They have to move on. They have to get um, someone to replace him. And so um, they pick Matthias. Matthias is chosen by Lot and added to the Twelve. Some biblical commentators will say that Matthias was not the chosen apostle, that they did it hastily And without any thought, and they got a dud. And he wasn't the 12th apostle. The 12th apostle was Paul, later who shows up in the book of Acts. But I think he was the 12th apostle. Um, It's very clear in the text that they believed it was true. It's very clear in the text that um, the early, that Peter and the other apostles believe that he is um, the one that is chosen. The other one, Joseph, called Barsabbas, isn't chosen. And I always wonder what happened to him. I always wonder what happened to Matthias, too. We don't really hear much from him again. But Joseph Barsabbas was there for many of the events of Jesus' life, just as Matthias was. And they get their little moment in the scriptural spotlight. And for 2,000 years, Christians have reflected on these names, and known very little about them. And this is what it is to be a Christian. Um, It is not to be Peter. It's not to be Judas. It's not to be Andrew. But to be a follower of Jesus is to be Joseph, or Matthias. They're just there, doing what God has called them to do. They're not famous except for this one mentioned here, and yet they fulfill this prophecy that was made a thousand years before for this very moment. They also cast lots. They, uh, the origin of the word dice is the origin of the term clerk, cleric, clergy, um, that we are chosen by lot. I would like to bring the system back, of course. I've probably said this before. I think uh, when you draw lots for among qualified candidates, nobody could ever say it's a popularity contest. That's one of the the benefits of rolling the dice. No one can say that one person had an, an advantage over another. Um, or, and it is true that the Old Testament proverb says that every cast of the dice is in the hand of God. Um. This practice of deciding what to do based on a a cast of the dice is one that we get from the Bible. The Urim and the Thummim and the high priest's breastplate was a kind of dice, a kind of stone that would indicate yes or no. And this was consulted numerous times in stories in the Old Testament. And that was something that God put in the breastplate for them. Gideon puts out a fleece to determine whether he should listen to the voice of God or not. The fleece is wet, the ground around it is dry. I heard someone four days ago tell me that they judge whether it rained or not by how soaked their front porch mat uh, was. We are still putting out fleeces today and to see if it rains or not. And here, the choosing of Matthias by the lot is a definitely part of biblical tradition and something that existed um, further down through Christian history as well. Again, like I said, the origin of the term clergy, clerk, um, going back to the word for dice that is rolled to determine who ought to be ordained from among a pool of qualified candidates. And so... Um, And Francis, um, St. Francis is probably most famous for his devotion to poverty. Um, When we look at his life, it's not so much about the animals as it is about his holy poverty, his insistence on poverty um, for everybody, not just for himself. And on his deathbed, he is um, giving away his one last cloak And they have to find another one for him to wrap himself in as he lays dying, Um, always giving everything away, didn't want to possess anything, own anything. And he got that from a time that he rolled the dice. He went to a church and found the gospel book and a priest uh, or he, I'm not sure who did what, but they opened the book three times, puts his finger down and whatever... The Gospel says he was going to do, and it landed, his finger landed on Jesus saying, "Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven." This was another form of a lottery that um, Christians did in the Middle Ages and Francis did it um, so perhaps today in light of this we ought to say to God uh, what lottery are you asking me to to play today um, I'm faced with several possible courses of action, all of them bad or all of them good, some better than others. What's the right thing for me to do? What if I trusted God for that? What if I trusted God that even the chance things in life, the things that I see as a chance, things that I see as completely random events, perhaps are God speaking to me? That's the problem with the lottery is you never quite know Who's speaking to you? You're never quite sure. Um, you're never quite sure the source of that dice roll, and yet, um, in faith with prayer, like these apostles have done with scripture, speaking to them, uh, they cast the lot, and God's will is done. So maybe that's what we're being invited into today. All of our lives are full of random events that we can't always see coming. Some good, some not so good. And all of these are from God. Um, and that um, sorting that out is not easy. Like these apostles, maybe it's better to just say, well, that is who we have, Matthias. Let's celebrate. Let's continue the mission. Because love is always the answer. Um, no matter how many dice we roll or gospel books we open, The right answer is always love. It always is. And God will always lead us to that place of love. Self-sacrificial love. um, Love that um, is more interested in the other than our own agenda. Um, But that is always where God will lead us. Amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior.